2: This podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sport Social Podcast Network.
3: This week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spanoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust.
1: gentlemen, back to the Football Insomniac Podcast. I'm your host Colin Watt and today I'm delighted to be joined from someone on the other side of the world. Um, you might not recognise it from his accent when he starts speaking but Dave Claxon, very welcome, sorry very welcome, a, a warm welcome to the Football Insomniac Podcast. How are you doing buddy?
5: Thanks a little, Colin, how are you doing? Uh, all good here, uh, it's 6am Boston time but listen you, you do it for the love of the game, that's it. <laughs>
1: It's literally what's kept you up at night, Um, is the insomniac. Right. And as, as I said, you'll not be able to tell from his accent. Dave is an Irishman staying in um, America, uh, so we appreciate him coming on very early today. Um, if you haven't heard of Dave before, you may have heard of his website, Business of Sport. It's a blog about, um, basically does what it says in the tin, the business of sport. Um, and we'll be speaking about that later on in the show. If you do have any questions uh, to Dave about anything to do with shirt sponsorships, with commercial partnerships. Get in touch and we'll see what he has to say about them. Uh, But first of all, we are going to discuss the January transfer window. It is only just closed. We're going to take a look at who were the big winners, the big losers. Um, Some of the big moves, although it's been a very quiet window. um, I see today that down south it's been confirmed that they spent about £70 million, which is the same price as what Liverpool paid for Virgil van Dijk. So it does show the effect that COVID is having on this transfer window. We'll take a look at it in Scotland, see what it means for the teams in Scotland, who's brought who in, who's moved out. And uh, we can't go anywhere without discussing the Olivier and Cham loan deal to Marseille. Um, Not only was it a a good move, I think, for him and for Celtic, but it got Andre Villas-Boas the sack. Uh, What was your reaction to that, Dave, when that news came through that he was going
5: to resign from his job? I mean, even when uh, Celtic aren't really involved, we're still involved by causing a disaster. But uh, to be honest, uh, I think he he had only won one game in nine. So he was probably heading towards the trapdoor, to be honest. Uh, It's probably one of the first cases I've seen where a player has been brought in and the manager is pretty much gone inside a day or two. It's it's just a crazy, crazy situation. And I mean, if you look at the the Marseille situation, the fans storming the, the training ground. You talk about Celtic being a crisis club, I think they're probably even in a bigger crisis than we are, which uh, is, is saying something.
1: Yeah, and as you can tell from that, Dave is a, a Celtic fan as well. Following Celtic from abroad is maybe one of the best ideas this season, uh, not being so close <laughs> to the action. But if you are watching us on Facebook, YouTube and Periscope, do get involved. Get your questions in. Tell us who you think had the strongest signing in the January transfer window. Uh, we're going to be discussing some of the big deals, although it's not really big names down south. The biggest deal being side Ben Rama's move from Brentford to West Ham for £25 million. I think one of the most intriguing parts about that transfer was it allowed West Ham to then bring in someone else on loan because it was a loan with a view to buy at the end of the season. So they kind of advanced that forward and brought in Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard's an interesting name. Um, because only a couple of years ago, the guy had the world at his feet, but now he's had to go back out on loan to see if he can rebuild
5: his name. Do you think he'll be able to do so? I think uh, I was looking at that uh, transfer in particular, and he mentioned about David Moyes uh, being one of the kind of key reasons uh, he moved. Um, So maybe the relationship with with Moyes, obviously when he was at Man United, he thinks maybe he can get the best out of him. Definitely under Solskjaer, Lingard has, has been missing in action, hasn't really featured at all. Um, you look at that United team now in terms of the midfield, obviously Bruno Fernandes has been a fantastic signing. Midfield looks a lot more settled now than it probably did in previous years. Um, I think Lingard is, is nearly like a Deli Alli type character where you know, really came up uh, quite quickly, um, got a lot of, obviously, uh, press about it, um, but has kind of struggled to kind of kick on from there. Same with Deli Alli. He didn't get his move to PSG. Um, Lingard, I think it's it's coming to that kind of period now Where uh, if he doesn't really perform for West Ham You're maybe looking at him joining a, a team lower in the, in the Premier League To try and kick on from there um, I can't see him going to a Leicester Or one of those kind of teams that is on the up If he doesn't kind of turn it around and Obviously West Ham are having a great season uh, Which I don't think anyone, even probably their own fans Expected to the position they're probably in so he's going to he's probably picked as best the club in terms of current form and where they are to go to to try and resurrect his career so I, I think it's we'll see how he does for the rest of the season and then it'll probably be a good indicator about where where he's going to go from there
1: yeah i think he's um he's really got to get his head down i mean it's not as if he's a young player anymore i think he's now 27 28 years old he's kind of coming into what should be his prime years and he's really having to rebuild his career. He broke into the Manchester United team, broke into the England team, was a staple of the England team um, and now it's just a kind of, he's, he's been left in the shadows. One of the most interesting things about Jesse Lingard that I've seen, um, and it's not directly associated with him, it was someone on Twitter last year who had a bet that um, he would have zero shots on target and zero goals all season last year uh, and that was broken in the 93rd minute when he scored the last goal of Manchester United. Um, season. I think the guy was on to win thousands through it. Um, <laughs> so that would have been heartbreaking. Um, but speaking of thousands, it, it really seems to be that a lot of the transfers this uh, window were done in the kind of lower the lower regions of the, the finances. Ben Davies moved to, to Liverpool. Uh, they thought he was coming to Celtic. They, they thought the pre-contract was agreed. And then Liverpool pay £500,000 up front to get that deal over the line. And Jurgen Klopp said it himself when he was asked about him, he says, given the current situation, if it was any other transfer window, if it was any other situation, they wouldn't be looking at Preston to make a signing. But they saw the ability of Davies, they saw the potential in them and decided to make the move. Do you think he'll be one that will surprise people and do well down south?
5: It's, it's a lot of pressure. It really is. Like The, the guys looked decent for, for Preston. Um, and definitely as a Celtic fan, given our problems uh, in defence, you were thinking, right, this guy could be a, a contributor next season. Um, I think Liverpool, the need is, is probably great right now with Joel Matip and obviously Van Dijk. Um, and obviously um, they uh, brought in uh, the guy from uh, uh, the German player, uh, Ozak, um, mm-hmm. for for a lot of from money Schalke. as well. Yeah. yeah, from Schalke. Um, so again, like uh, bringing him on loan and maybe signing him full time. Um, I think it it probably just shows that that Liverpool are are needing to kind of fill a few spaces in the team. I think Davis himself, it's a great opportunity for him. I mean, it, it's. I think this is a, a microcosm of the the current uh, pressures clubs are under. They're too afraid to spend money. As you said, um, you know, roughly in the Premier League, there was 70 million spent. Uh, last January, it was over 200 million. It's obvious because they don't know when fans are going to be back in the stadium. They don't have the surety of match day revenue from people buying food, um, whatever in, in the stadium. Uh, and then, as well, uh, season tickets when people are actually going to be back. So I think um, for a club the size of Liverpool, with, with the revenue they bring in, spending that money on Ben Davies and bringing in uh, Ozak on, on loan, it, it makes total sense. Uh, you you get to try before you buy with Ozak and then with Davis if it doesn't work out you just loan them somewhere else maybe even loan them back to, or loan him to Celtic or even back to Preston if, if it doesn't work out
1: mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happening um, especially when you see guys like Virgil van Dijk Joe Mattit uh, Joe Gomez coming back into the side um, you'd be surprised to see if he could make it through there but I mean, it's a big opportunity for them and I'm sure one they'll take with both hands and we'll have to see what comes of it as Liverpool go to defend their title this season. Struggling um, in recent weeks, so they could be doing with a bit more cover at the back. Taking a, Staying in the Premiership, um, Mesut Ozil making that move to Fenerbahce eventually. I mean, this is a guy who was earning £350,000 to basically sit at home for a couple of months. He wasn't involved in the Arsenal 25-man squad. Um, It it looks as if his career at Arsenal had been dead now for the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months. Um, And finally gets his move to Fenerbahce. One of the funny things about that move was um, Fenerbahce actually set up a scheme where fans could uh, tweet, or sorry, sorry, text a, a support message to Mesut as part of his welcome to Fenerbahce. And it cost roughly about £2. But that money was being used to pay for his wages. Now, the club from what i understand are in complete financial ruin but that is a really smart initiative to try and get the, the
5: signing over the line to pay for Mesits' wages yeah it's it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant um it, the the value of the guy obviously probably in my opinion in your opinion is he actually going to bring much to Fenerbahce It would have to be kind of a Lazarus type recovery of his career um, <laughs> yeah. that type of initiative very cool like uh, you know takes a lot of the strain off of the club um and obviously, you know, he he built his career kind of there. Um, if if I remember correctly, um, from from the start, that's where he kind of rose to prominence. Uh, he's a fan of the club himself, so there is kind of that kind of heritage there. So I can understand why the, the fans would do that. Um, I think if you look at Arsenal overall, uh, they had a clear out Mustafi gone as well, um, real dead wood in the, in that squad. And uh, Arteta went through a very sticky period where it maybe looked again like he was going uh, towards the trapdoor. Um, things have obviously stabilised. They're going to bring in uh, Martin Odegaard, obviously from uh, Real Madrid. That could be a very shrewd signing for, for the rest of the season. That guy looked a, a serious talent um, when he played for Real Sociedad. Um, I think overall, you, you look at the, the Ozil situation. I remember years ago, uh, Arsene Wenger kind of fought to keep him an Arsenal player, off from all this money. And it's just that type of thing in, in the climate that football now operates in. It's so money-driven. You could be stuck with, uh, think of Arteta going in there. He's stuck with a legacy player. He never signed, he never wanted. And those mm-hmm. wages are just draining out of his capacity to be able to buy other players or improve his squad. And th- I think that's what, what you see more and more now where uh, these type of players, they, their wages are such a drag on a, on a club season on season that uh, think about how long it took uh, Arsenal to actually get rid of this guy. It's been long on for about two or three seasons. And as you said, he's he's contributed absolutely nothing to the team.
1: If you look at his wages, you're talking nearly £17 million a year, which is absolutely incredible. Um, And he's made the drop down to a a more reasonable, so he says £60,000 a week at Fenerbahce. Um, I would definitely take that. If you take a look a bit closer to home, well, a bit closer to home for me, not so much for you. We're not going to talk about the MLS. <laughs> um, but, we take a look <laughs> but we take a look at the the, the movements here in Scotland. Um, the busiest club, Motherwell, bringing eight players in this window. Uh, I think they've they've had to do something. Graham Alexander coming in there to take over from, from Stephen Robinson. Uh, a lot of ins and outs, but they are dangerously close to being in a relegation battle this season. When you bring in a lot of players like that, it can take a bit of time for them to settle. Um, there's going to be games coming up thick and fast. I, t- I think I took a look at it last night. There's six games in the next two weeks. These
5: players either have to hit the ground running or Motherwell will be in serious trouble. For sure. I think, um, as you said, like uh, it, it's all right bringing loads of players in the summer and trying to make them gel over the first part of the season. But from January kind of onwards, uh, with the... Uh, again, you kind of staring at relegation or potential relegation. Probably the, the best managers, uh, you know, to, to kind of turn that situation around. You're looking at a Harry Redknapp, you're looking at a, a Sam Allardyce. They seem to have whatever is needed to kind of bring in bodies and just make a team work. Um, like obviously, Motherwell have seen a couple of couple of the games this season with Celtic, and they've looked quite poor. Um, it, it's going to be a huge job to kind of turn that ship around. Uh, it's it's great if you're bringing in players who can make a difference, but uh, such a large collection of players, getting them up to speed in terms of the system, uh, the current players, it, it, that's a massive challenge. You can understand why they did it because of how bad a situation they're in. But again, it's it's like anything. There's no guarantees in this. Uh, you could have made this effort and come the end of the season, you're actually you're you're going down to the next division.
1: Yeah, and we are we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. If you are watching along. Leave us your comments. Who do you think were the biggest moves of the January transfer window? We're still going to concentrate on Scotland um, but a point we brought up earlier was about Jesse Lingard and Mr Briggs comes in here to say it feels as though Jesse Lingard's been one of the future now for the last six years but he's nearer 30 than he is 20. Spent too much time caring about Instagram likes throughout his career. Um, And you know that's one of the biggest criticisms you see of Jesse Lingard. Um, If it's not about the daft handshakes then it's about his social media profile um, so I mean what can you say is it, is it just that this is someone that was given far too much too soon and he just couldn't handle it or I think, is it another wasted talent I, I don't know what's
5: happening there I think all that Instagram stuff and all that uh, as, as they would say brand building uh, for uh, a professional football player that's all fine when you're winning Ronaldo can do it he can, can get paid millions to do all the endorsements he has same with Messi but when you're not winning or when you're not really kicking on that's when the criticism comes and people think that you don't focus on your football. And that might be a perception and not the reality. But unfortunately, uh, you know, the fans don't know the ins and outs of a club for the most part. So the perception actually is the reality in, in most fans' eyes. And even you look at Deli Alli, he's, he's another player where, fair enough, Mourinho's gone in there uh, and he, he just doesn't seem to fancy him as a player. But even the, before Mourinho went in there, was Deli Alli really kicking on as a player Obviously, Spurs got to the Champions League final, um, etc. But he, he kind of stagnated to, to a large degree. And I think him and Lingard are, are quite similar in, in that respect. Uh, and again, Ali with his kind of celebrations, that type of stuff. You just leave yourself open to criticism with that uh, if people think you might be focusing too much and the results aren't there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and we take a look at some of the other comments coming in. Uh, Joseph McGonagall. I think Motherwell will be safe. Kilmarnock are in a similar situation. Uh, I saw that last night when Celtic played Colmarnock. I thought they were they were struggling really badly there. They've yeah. just got rid of Alex Dyer as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the new manager can bring in. Taking a look at this comment from Sean McGlynn, this is why you should always take a look at your spelling before you send it in. Uh, Fraser Horney, uh, which is Fraser Hornby, uh, to Aberdeen is a great signing. And in general, that is I think that's one of the best signings of the Scottish transfer window, uh, bringing in the young under-21 international Coming in from Reims in France, um, David Slate, if you're watching, one of the regular contributors to this State of Mind, he concentrates a lot on French football, but I think this boy's got a big, big future ahead of him. Um, and although Aberdeen get beat last night, I still
5: think he could be one of the signings ins of the window. For sure, and uh, it, it seems to be a feature of Scottish football in the last couple of years that you have guys going abroad, which is great, uh, you know, to try and develop themselves um, I think Aberdeen also brought in uh, Canberry as well, I believe, yeah, on, on yeah. Um, And again, like obviously, uh, with Hibbs, I thought he was he was a really decent player. So given the need that Aberdeen obviously has uh, in terms of strikers, I think they're, they're good signings to try and make them kick on for, for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, and it could be another James Madison. Someone that comes up to Aberdeen, does really well. And then in a couple of years, you see he's one of the key players in Leicester's title push. I really hope that uh, Hornby does well for Aberdeen in the sense that we've got the Euros coming up in the summer, um, and I'd much rather see someone like that in the squad than someone like Ollie McBurney, who I think just doesn't have it to be a footballer at any sort of level. I don't think he's got any sort of natural ability.
3: It's the marketer's report. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
0: I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah, love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingaroner, the ring-a-ding-ding.
3: Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile, unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer, new customers only, available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere, one device per line, tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.
5: Terrible footballer. I, I, I've watched him a couple of times. The transfer fee that was paid for him, it just shows the craziness of the English game. You probably got it. You could have got someone for a fraction of that cost on the continent who would have been a much better player. Technically, um, he, he's a very poor player, um, and I think you're right. If, if you know uh, Hornby can kind of kick on for the last couple of months of the season, you never know. Uh, you look at even the performance of Sheffield United this season; they've, they've been very poor. Um, so I think you know McBurney, his place could be up for grabs if, if that doesn't turn around.
1: Yeah, so uh, good luck to Fraser Horny, um for the rest of the season at Aberdeen. Uh, taking a look at um, some of the other signings, Hibbs bringing in Jackson Irvine and Chris Cadden. Uh, some good moves there. The most interesting thing about that, I think, is uh, Jackson Irvine's Mo Sislak tattoo. Uh, I'll see if that. Yeah, he has a tattoo of Mo Sislak on
5: his leg. That's
1: so particular. Uh, (laughs) Something to go and take a look at afterwards. And and Rangers did well as well. Uh, If you take a look at who they brought in, Scott Wright, who was coming on a pre-contract anyway, he was swapped basically with Robbie McCrory. Um, I think Aberdeen maybe got the better of that deal. I think McCrory will go on to be a fantastic player. Um, Bringing in Jack Simpson Ellie from Bournemouth, um, and the other player from Bournemouth who I really couldn't pronounce his surname. um, So I'm not even going to try and make an attempt. But they are planning for the future and it's something that a lot of teams across Scotland would be desperate to do, uh, given the current situation. Taking a look at Celtic as well, bringing in John Joe Kenny on loan to replace Jeremy Frimpong, who moved on for £11.5 million. It's uh, that, That's a fantastic bit of business, I think, for Jeremy sure. Frimpong. Yeah, um, I, a big I, profit I, I, on someone who's made very few appearances for the club. And I think that's maybe a platform for a, a lot of younger players in England who are stuck in their academy teams, can't make that step into the first team, can see that the route is through Scotland onto perhaps the Bundesliga, perhaps onto the Premier League. Um, And I think that's something that we
5: should be trying to sell to these guys down south. For sure. I think uh, you you look at the kind of key selling points for Celtic or Rangers. Uh, It's European football, which they won't get with a Fulham or any kind of basement dwellers uh, in the Premier League. Uh, And it's also winning Winning, game, winning games and winning titles, um, and it, as well the pressure at Rangers and Celtic, you have to win every game. So it really kind of prepares a player then to, to go to the next level. Um, you look at Dembele, uh, obviously going to Leon. Uh, even someone like um, Stuart Armstrong. You know, We have a, a production line of players that we either brought in uh, from other Scottish teams and developed them, or we took someone like Dembele for, for nothing really, the potential was there and he really excelled at Celtic and now he's gone on to the European level and now he's at Atletico Madrid. So, you know, there, there is a path there. I, I totally agree with you, with uh, Frimpon. Uh, I thought last year he he looked a breath of fresh air. He was, he was a really great signing last year. Um, very, like, impactful going forward. Final ball obviously wasn't there. Um, defensively, uh, not exactly the soundest. This season, he badly exposed uh, with the overall kind of Celtic defense. But I, I think to get that fee for a guy who really has only had one good uh, season in football, particularly in in the Scottish League, for, for that amount, um, that that's really good business. And if you look at uh, Leverkusen, and um, they also signed uh, Demary Gray from Leicester, and um, the winger, and um, for about two million, um, and. I think he's, he's a prospect again for the future. He came in there, I think, from uh, Birmingham a couple of years ago to Leicester. Didn't really kick on. And again, maybe Leverkusen are going that route, uh, similar to what uh, Dortmund have obviously gone with uh, Jaden Sancho, um, to kind of bring these guys in, develop them, and then uh, sell them for, for a much higher uh, transfer fee. No doubt about it, Fring Pong has the, the raw talent. It's, it's basically working on his, his, his kind of final ball. It's great beating four men, but if you can't actually pass the ball, you're just wasting everyone's time.
1: Yeah, agreed. And Mr Briggs comes back in to say Scotland having their best run of form in years yet, McBurnie's not scored a single goal in about 16 or 17 caps. It says a lot. I, I can't disagree with that. Just a final point on the transfers before we kind of wrap up this part of the show. Barca Boy coming in saying, could we see a levelling out of the huge fees and wages across football due to the effects of COVID? I would say yes until fans are back in the grounds. Until then, until the, the kind of lifeblood of the game is back, until the, the guaranteed revenue stream comes back into the game, I think this
5: is what we're going to see for a while. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think what you'll also find is some clubs, even when the fans come back, they will struggle initially because they will have massive debts to be serviced. So even you, you look at Barcelona, their debts are, are approaching £1 billion. Um, They were meant to sign um, Eric Garcia from Man City uh, on a free transfer. The guy said he would play for Barcelona for free for six months um, and they still couldn't afford to sign him, which is just incredible. So I I think uh, the kind of key trends I probably uh, saw was definitely, obviously, spending was down because uh, clubs were were afraid to, to kind of spend money when it wasn't there. Obviously, loans were just through the roof. Um, but also another kind of trend was uh, a lot of players being released from contracts or freed from their contracts and signing with another club. So Sami Kadira, uh, going from Juventus to uh, Hertha Berlin, and um, mm-hmm. even uh, Yedlin, the, the Newcastle player, going to Galatasaray. And you'll probably see that kind of holding pattern. I, I think even in the summer, there probably will be you know, certain clubs spending a fair bit of money. But I think, again, if there's that uncertainty with when our fans actually going to be in the stadium, I think still you'll see a lot of clubs kind of keeping their powder dry for when there's much more kind of assurity about the situation.
1: One of the big things that you could see there as well was um, the Chinese League had been the place to go to earn the money. Everyone that was going over there, we're talking about Rafa Benitez earning £12 million a year as a manager. Stefan El-Shirawi moved there from Roma to Shanghai Shenawa and then 18 months later returns back to Roma on a free transfer. It just shows that the uh, the money across the world of sport is really running dry at the moment. So I do think there will be a kind of reining in of
5: these big transfer fees over the next 18 months to two years, I think. Totally. And I think uh, in the case of China, um, they're, they're trying to institute new kind of rules around foreign players as well. Obviously, there was the initial kind of gold rush of Tevez being signed for nearly 400,000 uh, wages a week. Um, these type of players, uh, even Hulk, um, they're they're trying to move that country away from that kind of model um and they're trying to obviously develop their their own players and even uh the the Chinese premier has is is a big football fan and he's kind of instituted a, a structural plan up to 2050 where the plan is for China to be able to qualify for World cups and even potentially uh, win some so I think you're you're looking at uh both uh money not being there and then even specific countries kind of altering how they look at kind of the big foreign signings um, I think even uh, the UK as an example with, with Brexit uh, Celtic even we, we can't go off now and sign a player who's under the age of 18 from a German mm-hmm. club who's a German national that will have a huge impact and that might be for for the best for a club like Celtic even for other clubs in the Premier League where you're, you're forced to kind of focus on the best talent that you have nearly around the area or in the country.
1: Yeah, and uh, just before we kind of wrap up this segment, um, I'm joined today by Dave Claxon, um, Irishman uh, living in America. Tell me, who is the biggest winner of
5: this January transfer window and who's the biggest loser? Loser, I think uh, there, there's no way uh, you can kind of dress it up any better. Uh, it's, it's Marseille. I mean, you have fans kind of rioting uh, at the training ground. Uh, Olivier in Cham probably never thought he'd cause such a disaster at the club. Um, with Villas uh, Boas uh, getting sacked I think in terms of, of best I really liked what Arsenal did as I said clearing out a lot of deadwood there Ozil finally off kind of the wage packet as you said 17 million a year they could be spending that money on on you know some quality players to bring them in I think uh, another club uh, that I would probably say Eintracht Frankfurt they brought back uh, Luka Jovic and mm-hmm. he's already in four games scored three goals where at Real Madrid he couldn't seem to really perform um and I think, uh, I think that could be a great signing for those guys. Um, and I think actually the, the final one, uh, Atletico Madrid, in a great position in, in the league table, obviously, bringing in Moussa Dembele for 1.5 million euros uh, on a loan for the rest of the season. If Suarez gets injured, he could be the guy that they rely on to take them uh, to that league title. So I think that's a great bit of business.
1: I would say for me, looking at it closer to home, I think Aberdeen are probably one of the big success stories of this January tran- tran- transfer window, despite even losing um, Sam Cosgrove for £2 million. I think Hibs done well to hold on to their talents as well when you look at some of the bids that came in. Kevin Nisbet with a £3 million uh, move for Birmingham. Ryan Porteous apparently to Millwall as well, I believe. And I think Rangers did well as well, bringing in these talents for the future, planning for the future, looking ahead to next season. Uh, I would say Celtic's transfer window didn't go great bringing in players. Um, they definitely made the money on the players that moved out. So it's it's a difficult one. Down south, I have to agree, I think West Ham did well. I think bringing in Ben Rama and Jesse Lingard as they moved towards the top six. Arsenal clearing out their, their deadwood. Although I don't think they will play in Europe next season. I think they're really struggling. You saw that last night with the, the defeat to Wolves. Um, yeah, it's it's such a strange January transfer window and all I can say is I'm already looking forward to the summer to see what the knock-on effects will be, you see the players that were allegedly lined up for moves like Neymar signing a a new four-year contract to PSG so I wonder who the big move will be in the summer Uh, but just wrapping this section up, if you do have any comments on the January transfer window, leave them uh, on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter we'll take a look at them and we'll get back to you, a couple of people coming in saying that you really know your football Dave so you're going down really <laughs> well so far this could be, this Good could year. all change though because I'm going to ask you um, the same thing I ask all my guests when they come on to the Football Insomniac and that is to name what would be their dream football dinner party, I think a dinner party is more of an American thing isn't it you, you have more dinner parties over there
5: um, yeah Definitely, I think uh, the the culture uh, here, yeah, a bit more dinner parties. Where so I think uh, you know the the Irish and the the Scottish and the kind of English way of doing things is down the pub or a lot of drinks involved. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a bit more of a dinner party vibe here.
1: Uh, I think in Scotland we'd call it a gaff or an empty. Um, cool. When I was speaking to Daniel Lambert from the Bohemians uh, last week, he was just saying it's straight down the pub, just straight down the pub. Um, yeah. So. The, the way this works, we have four people from the world of football, uh, dead or alive. Um, you can bring them back to life for 24 hours to be part of your dinner party. Um, as I said, it's a bit like Cinderella. When the clock strikes 12, that's it. They're, they're back. They're away again. So first of all, we have to ask you, what will you be cooking?
5: What is What is your speciality? What's going to be on the table for them to snack on? I wasn't expecting this question. Uh, I think uh, I'd probably order in maybe a couple of pizzas. Keep it easy. Like uh, I, I would definitely have the the fridge stocked with loads of beer, I think. Uh, so that I think that's all fine and, and all kind of spirits and stuff. But I think I'd, I'd pizza, I, I don't think I could make it. I could give it a try. But I, I think I'd be better off uh, kind of ordering it in, to be honest.
1: And you're from Boston. So Boston Pizza, some of the best pizza in the world, from what I've been told.
5: Yeah, for sure. the The delicacies, uh, so to speak, are, here are uh, clam chowder, uh, which is actually quite nice, um, and a lot of kind of seafood. Yeah, uh, so it, it's very American though. Like, uh, like I, I used to live in London for about six years, and that place is so cosmopolitan with the kind of food. So here, it's definitely a lot of cheeseburgers and kind of fries and stuff. <laughs>
1: Anything that can be deep-fried. It's a bit like Scotland. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so who is the first person to come to the Claxton household? Who's bringing the bottle of wine?
5: I think uh, with with that in mind, I think it's uh, Diego Armando Maradona, undoubtedly. Um, I'm sure he's someone who who probably gets picked a lot. But uh, for me, the greatest footballer to ever do it. Um, his kind of CV speaks to that. The World Cup, obviously. Being Irish, what happened with the hand of God as well. You've you got to love that. Um, and just a, a character, just an amazing character, an amazing life. Um, I, I recently watched the, the Maradona documentary and you see the early footage of him in Argentina, uh, even when he was a teenager and there, he was getting interviewed by TV crews. And it's it's incredible. The, the guy's life is, is just amazing. Um, and just such a character, uh, even to have managed Argentina and just a fabulous, fabulous character.
1: Uh, as you said, Maradona, he's probably picked by about 90% of people who come on the show. Um, and I feel as though I'm, I'm running out of terms to kind of explain how good Maradona is because I try and do a different one every, every time he gets picked. Um, but just having his presence in the room, I think, would be incredible. Um, you know how sometimes you, you meet someone who's famous and you go to, to ask them a question and you, you just don't know the words to say. The fact that you've got him in the room for a couple hours
5: I think just the stories you would get out of him would be absolutely incredible. Yeah, totally. I think uh, what a life! Uh, both obviously going off the rails, but then what he did—you you can't deny—even um, the the kind of situation in Napoli, uh, like just uh, he, he lived uh, probably about two lives in in one, um, and you can definitely rely on him for for some great stories. And who would be joining Diego at the table? Uh, this is a, an Irish flavoured one, Eamon Dunphy. I'm not sure if you're aware of, of Eamon Yeah. Yep, so, yep, yep. Uh, for, for everyone kind of watching, Eamon uh, is uh, a former professional footballer. He's, he's Irish. He actually played for Man United. Uh, he said he wasn't good enough to kind of lace up the boots of other Man United players when he joined. Uh, and he also played for Millwall and he was a player, I think, roughly in the 70s. So in Ireland, he kind of built a career as kind of uh, a great pundit, actually, um, on Irish TV, the state broadcaster, RTE, um, kind of controversial views, had a deep hatred of Cristiano Ronaldo for probably about five or six years. That was completely unjustified, but he just wouldn't see sense. And then Ronaldo's kind of dominance and brilliance, he, he just couldn't deny towards the end. Um, and he's, again, another great character. Famous uh, for in in Ireland in uh, the 1990 World Cup, Um, he hated the football Jack Charlton played, um, and would always kind of rail against it on uh, Irish national TV. And he, during one of the games, uh, I think it was the nil all against Egypt, uh, he picked up a pen and he threw it across the studio. And again, just a great, just uh, nearly like the theatrics of TV uh, or of kind of punditry that you don't really see these days. It's a lot more kind of corporate. Amen is is definitely not corporate.
1: Yeah, we, I was speaking with the Bohemians uh, chief operating officer last week, Daniel Lambert, and he was talking about this sort of the punditry team at RTE, and he was speaking even just a couple of years ago when it was Amen, it was Liam Brady, and it was guys like Graham Suness, and he says it's just like going down the pub and listening to your dad's pals talking about the football. Uh, and just you could sit and listen to them for hours and hours. And I think that the punditry in RTE in Overn Island is a level above anything you get in the UK. Um, and he's a sad miss now um, to the to the
5: game. And it'll uh, be interesting to, to see what the lineup will be for the Euros this summer. Yeah, for sure. Um, Didi Hammond has actually been on RT, and he's he's quite a good pundit. I, I like him. Um, Richard Sadlier, who used to play for Millwall and sadly had his career um, cut short by injury. Um, he's actually a really, really good pundit. Um, he actually had a kind of a background in psychology. He had a, a really tough kind of period when when his career was uh, cut short. Uh, he's been to kind of therapy and everything, and he's he's a great pundit. Um, so they just seem to constantly get these really good guys um, through on, on RT. I don't know if it's how they brief them to kind of address the audience, but I, in comparison, I'd say kind of the, the UK punditry, it's it's pretty low level. Uh, Steve McManaman, those type of guys, it's it's very, very kind of low level stuff.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see what the interview process is for RT compared to like Sky Sports <laughs> over here. Um, When someone you get someone like Eamon Dunphy And then you compare him to someone like Chris This week on the Marketers Report Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global
3: Chief Marketing Officer Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery Weighs in on building trust As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for
1: more. Boy, it's night and day. Yeah, um, sure. But if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you're watching uh, Get Involved, just like Joseph McGonagall's done here, he said he would have Larsenstein, Jinky, and his dad and he would cook mince and potatoes, a proper Scottish staple. Really? Um, what what goes
5: into that now apart from the mince and potatoes?
1: It's just mince and potatoes. Oh, really? a, a bit of maybe onion, carrot through it. Depends how your mum used to cook it. That that nah. If your mum cooked it with onion and carrot, you cook it with onion and carrot. Gotcha. It's just passed through the generations. Um, Sean McGlynn saying, George Best, Jinky, Maradona, Henrik and Stephen Mahi. He's, he's added five. Uh, you're going to need to pick one to drop. Um, <laughs> and he's, they're getting pie, chips, and beans. Have you ever experienced mm. pie, chips, and beans? No, and I don't
5: think they would be happy with that either, given their kind of <laughs> probably well-regimented diets.
1: I don't know. I think George Best would have loved a bit of pie, yeah. chips, and beans. <laughs> uh, you need to see if you can get that over there. Got to um, check it out, yeah. <laughs> boy and coming in again saying Dunphy loved the sesh as well. So, um, yeah. he's, he's, joining, he's joining Maradona at the table. There'll be a
5: lot of alcohol consumed, but who yep, will be joining definitely. both Dunphy and Maradona? So this is the the quiet part of the table. So we have the wild men on, on kind of one side and then uh, Wim Janssen actually. Um, I thought about this one and Wim Janssen, uh, I believe he won the, the European Cup with Firenord. He was in that great team that obviously beat Celtic um, as far as I can remember. Um, played with Cruyff um, and then obviously his managerial career. Uh, he came from Japan to, to kind of manage Celtic um, and uh, just, just an incredible kind of character. Kind of soft-spoken, but kind of uh, that season with Celtic, um, I I actually went to a lot of the games. I was there for the St. Johnson game in the stadium. And what he did for, for the club, obviously, I'll, I'll always be thankful for, as, as every Celtic fan will be. Um, the pressure on that season, if we had social media now that season, it would have not have <laughs> been a, a good kind of period of time. But uh, just a very interesting character and a lot of respect for him. Even what he went through at Celtic and and yeah, it just I always respected him as a tactician, a fabulous career as well. And just I always would have loved to have spoken to him both about his playing career and then what kind of happened at Celtic, the kind of ins and outs with Jack Brown and and obviously Fergus McCann.
1: Yeah, certainly an interesting character, and he definitely had an eye for a player. You can see that when he brought in guys like Henrik Larson, not just the Celtic, but he done it several times throughout his career. Um, and certainly one of Europe's probably most underestimated coaches when you look back through that period of time. Um, But as you say, a softly spoken, quiet person, so that's the quiet end of
5: the table started. Who completes the quartet? It is uh, John Mark Bosman. And again, just thinking about kind of characters who changed the face of football, and he probably never realised how big an influence he would have on football overall. He's changed the face of football, this guy, um, just through a legal case to, to try and get kind of free agency for himself. Um, and I, I haven't looked into it in detail, but I remember hearing stuff that he kind of struggled uh, after everything with, with the Bosman ruling came, came into effect. He didn't really make any money out of it, obviously. And, and it, in one way, that, that's tough. But in another way, the legacy of what he gave to footballers, that kind of freedom of movement is, is an amazing thing. Uh, previously, it was the clubs who had the power over the players. It's swung the other way. And we can talk about money in the game and there's no loyalty anymore and that type of thing. I would rather the players had the freedom to do what they wanted than the clubs because I don't think that would be a good thing.
1: Yeah. And as you say, his legacy probably is more about the way that he's changed the legality of football as opposed to his career. Um, and he's one that will be very few like that Uh, as you say he did he did struggle after his move I think he was out of football for a couple of years whilst this all went through the courts Um, but yeah just to find out what that period of time was like I think would be incredible
5: Um, and the the story I don't even know if the story's in a book Um, I think it would be a great read if that was the case yeah definitely and even how he feels about that legacy you know his impact is worldwide it's it's When something like that happens, it's never going to go back to the way it was before. So he has changed the face of football forever, which is an amazing thing to kind of have as your legacy.
1: Definitely. So at the Claxton dinner table with some Boston pizzas coming in um, and plenty of beer, I take it will be Bud Lights and
5: everything else that will be in there. Yeah, beer situation here is uh, Pabst, uh, Miller, uh, yeah, it's it, it's not great now. Again, coming from London, where in you, you know the UK and Ireland, you've got a great selection. Pints of Guinness here, mm, not great either. So it's, yeah, it's it's a lot of kind of watered down uh, beer, but you you got to make do. Like,
1: <laughs> so joining you at the table would be Diego Maradona, Eamon Dunphy, Wim Janssen, and John Mark Bosman. That's a, a really interesting table, and I'm sure that would be a fantastic night. Just looking at some of the comments coming through. Uh, Harry Houdini here saying that uh, George certainly loved a bit of pie. Um, Take of that what you will. Uh, Mr Matt coming in saying, Jinky, McGrory, Steen, Mealy and John Thompson. I told you guys it's four, stop picking five. That's not allowed. (laughs) Otherwise, you're not at the table. Um, And Joseph McGonagall coming in saying, Bosman, a good shout, would love to hear a story. Definitely. I think if there's not a book already out there, then there certainly should be. Sure. Um, So... Moving on to the topic which you see on the screen in front of you it is the discussion about should betting sponsorship be banned in football and it's probably our main topic today. Um, this all comes out of a UK government uh, movement which started in December last year looking at the potential of banning betting sponsorship on football jerseys. Uh, apparently, according to sources at the Daily Telegraph, it is highly likely that this will be banned by autumn this year. And it could affect £110 million pounds of revenue sponsorship um, from the English Championship and Premier League. There was also a study that came out that showed that if you watch a match of the day on a Saturday night, 78 to 83% of the time, you are seeing a betting sponsor at some point, whether it be on billboards, or on shirt jerseys. It is a lot to, uh, to do. We take a look at who it would affect. Eight Premier League sides um, are currently have their shirt sponsor, which are betting companies, teams like Newcastle, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Aston Villa, all taking home at least £6 million a year from that. Two-thirds of championship sides have got um, sponsors, which are betting companies, and only three Premier League teams have no links to gambling sponsorship whether that be through shirt sponsors, sleeve sponsors, betting sponsors. Um, so you can see it has a massive impact on the game. Now, Dave, you've got a fantastic insight to this um, from the other side of the, the field. What
5: impact could this have on clubs' finances um, if this were to go ahead? I think uh, bet, like gambling sponsors, they pay a premium for those kind of shirts. They can generally pay more than other sponsors for the most part. Um I think if, if you look at the situation, it's quite similar to, and this is how I feel about it, um, basically uh, cigarette sponsorship on Formula One cars. It's become nearly a, a social imperative for clubs to, and the wider kind of government to be seen to be combating this. And the reason is, if, if you look at kind of the, uh, betting uh, sponsorship, particularly of jerseys, those jerseys are in FIFA, a video game that's played primarily by young people. Uh, who might be under the age of eighteen? Uh, those jerseys are also in Panini sticker books, um, and as you said, they're also on match of the day. And football, obviously, is for everyone, but obviously, a lot of young people love the game. And to see that volume of nearly acceptance of something that, uh, as an adult, you you have to be able to manage yourself. It's it's an adult choice to gamble. Um, it's very much like the the cigarette sponsorship uh, of Formula One, where. It's, it's nearly just in your face, 24-7. And I don't think anyone would say it, it will drive you to gamble. Uh, I think it's more that it's nearly just becomes accepted that it's there. And it, is that a good thing, particularly with you know, young viewers of, of uh, football games or even playing FIFA? Um, if you look at the kind of wider context of what the government has tried to do, uh, at the start of this season, they instituted a, a watershed of 9 p.m., and no betting uh, adverts could be aired during a football game. And already there was breaches of that, one uh, in Scotland uh, and one, I think, for a Premier League game with with Sky TV. Um, And I think that's where it's heading. There will be all these uh, restrictions put in place. And I think it's just more the the social imperative that uh, governments feel and clubs, it will be seen as just a a bad thing. Like you you might be taking this money and it's good for the clubs, obviously, in terms of revenue, but from a, a... a kind of societal impact it's probably not a positive thing to have these this betting or this betting sponsorship plastered over everything um you don't know the effects of it um and I, I think it'll just come to a crunch where it'll just be instituted where these clubs will not have the flexibility um to put these uh, sponsors on their jerseys and if you look at uh, what some of the kind of more forward-thinking people are are doing uh, even outside of football itself Barry Hearn who uh, obviously. Uh, with Eddie Hearn runs Matchroom um, Sports, Mm -hmm. Boxing, Snooker, et cetera. Um, Yesterday, uh, there was an interview with him where uh, he spoke about the kind of first sponsor that is non-betting related. Uh, I think it's Kazoo, which sponsors Everton, the Everton uh, Mm -hmm. shirt. And he said it's a specific move away from gambling sponsorship by Matchroom. They want to diversify their portfolio. They don't want to be just reliant on uh, gambling companies. I think that's probably an acknowledgement of someone in the know within the industry to say, changes are coming here. We better get our ducks in a row before this happens. So say for a club like Celtic or any of the the eight Premier League clubs with these kind of uh, betting companies on their shirts, they they better start looking out for newer uh, sponsors for the shirt because I I think there's going to come a crunch where where they won't have that option to actually put them on the shirt uh, in future.
1: Yeah, and you take a look at it. You mentioned Celtic in particular there. In 2018, they signed a seven-year deal with DaffaBet, um a, a Chinese betting company, um, for around £3 million a year. They also have sponsorships with Mr Green's Poker, I believe it is, and they do Ladbrokes inside the stadium. But that takes in about 5% of Celtics' revenue each year. It's the same with Rangers with their, um, their deal with 32 Red. Um, they also have a deal with Ladbrokes, I believe, inside the stadium, bringing in roughly about 5% of their overall revenue, that's a lot of money for a club to be losing, especially going through what they're going through. In your opinion, do you think there's companies there that are ready to, to step in to, to offer their services for sponsorship when this comes through? Um, could this be the last season that we see 32 Red and daffabet across the, the jerseys of Celtic and Rangers,
5: and then who would come in to replace that? I think um, if, if there's anything I know about uh, from my career, uh, definitely in terms of legislation, it takes a while to come through. I think next season it'll probably won't be in place um, with the kind of review meant to close in, in March. Um, I think it'll take probably a bit longer. It might be a season or two, but undoubtedly it's coming. I've, I've no doubt about it. Um, and I think what will happen is uh, you will definitely have uh, sponsors coming in to kind of take the, the spot of uh, Daffabet um, and, and other kind of uh, gambling companies. Because uh, being on the front of a football jersey, you uh, can be a really great thing. Um, but it, as well, actually, within that, you look at the rise of uh, vintage football jerseys. How many C.R. Smith uh, kind of uh, people do you see mm-hmm. walking around now? So it's not like now, like in previous years, you might have said, oh, you know, sponsorship, it's its done after a couple of years. But if you can be a part of an iconic jersey, it lives forever, really. Um, so that that's one kind of cool thing that maybe as a sponsor you can think of. But I, I think there will definitely be companies to, to replace the, the gambling companies. The problem will be the money probably won't be there. I think Celtic will probably get less money just because the, like, in terms of overall uh, betting uh, gam- or gambling, uh, it, it's a huge uh, kind of hugely valuable industry. A lot of money flowing in and out. You look at even the United States, for example, they're opening up gambling for the first time ever across the states. It is a gold mine. In terms of you know your your audience of over three hundred million people, so there's a reason why a lot of these companies have this money. As you said, Dafabet in China, the size of China as a market, there's money there. They can easily afford that. Mm-hmm. The problem will be what comes when these guys can't um, sponsor uh, jerseys. You will get people to fill that space, but probably the money won't be there. We'll be looking at a decline. And I think it's even outside of the the overall uh, gambling sponsorship issue. With COVID, with the overall situation, even in terms of broadcast rights, you're probably looking at either things being at the same level that they were previously or even a a small decline just because the money won't be there uh, from sponsors and won't be there from broadcasters.
1: And you take a look at it as well. It's not just jersey sponsorship. Um, You take a look at some of the big leagues and the big trophies here in the UK. You've got Skybet, who are the main title sponsor of the English Football League. William Hill, who has sponsored the Scottish Cup now for quite a few years. I couldn't actually remember the last time it wasn't. The Scottish Cup is known as So when you take a look at it, um, does this then go beyond just the, the shirt sponsorship that we have to then look at um, the, the trophies that are being sponsored now? Um, and surely, I mean, that's going to take as much PR work to replace those sponsorships for the leagues and for um, the, the,
5: the sort of um, the federations as what it would be for the football clubs. For sure. Um, I think uh, if, if you look at the news recently, the FAI, so the, the Irish um, kind of uh, Football Association, um, they came out and said that they would not have a, a gambling um, partner as, as a sponsor. Um, and this is uh, due to a controversy around Sports Pesa, which used to sponsor Everton's Jersey. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's a Kenyan company, and there's a lot of kind of yep. issues around that company. Um, and uh, we, we had an old CEO, John Delaney. There was loads of controversy about him. But basically, they, they signed the deal with Sports Pesa. Um, a new regime came in at the FEI, and they, they've now committed to to not... Having these type of sponsors, and I think you'll see more organi- organizations do that um, because, again, the, the societal imperative to do that is so great now, and um, you just you can't justify it with young people consuming media or you know seeing wall-to-wall gambling uh, adverts. It's just not really acceptable, and it won't be acceptable moving forward. I think the the associations they generally always kind of struggle for, for quality sponsorship. Um, and I, I think that will be uh, a real crunch uh, for associations moving forward. Um, but I think even in Scotland, I think uh, the, the, uh, the women's um, uh, game in Scotland actually um, also said that they would not uh, have any kind of gambling sponsors as well previously. So I think uh, and that's actually an interesting point about the women's game, uh, which is maybe where revenue could come in future for uh, football clubs. Um, where you have a different sponsor for uh, the women's team versus the men's team. And that's in the last couple of years, you've seen that increasing. Obviously, Celtic, they have a different sponsor on the women's team. Um, And Liverpool kind of kicked that off a couple of years ago with Avon. And again, if you're kind of being as resourceful as possible, maybe that's the way you you have a a, a kind of sponsorship for the the men's team, but then you have a sponsorship for the female uh, team as well. So again, you're trying to maximize your, your potential revenue.
1: Uh, the question should be asked as well um, because we spoke about um, kind of cigarette companies. They were phased out quite a few years ago. They look as if this is now the move to phase out the betting sponsorship. But then you take a look at the SPFL who have just signed a, a recent deal for a, a sort of title sponsor across the whole of the divisions to be Glenn's Vodka. So is it the, the case that if we're going to ban these betting companies, if we've already banned the cigarette companies, should alcohol sponsorship be allowed as well?
5: That's a really tricky one. That is a really tricky one because if even look at Scotland, I'm, I'm aware of kind of the, the minimum pricing kind of legislation you guys have. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, kind of obviously sensitive issue. Um, the drinks lobby is extremely powerful uh, is what I would say. And it's not to say that the gambling lobby isn't. The drinks lobby has a heritage as well. It's been sponsoring football teams for decades been sponsoring competitions for decades. I think that one would be much harder to shift, um, and I'm not really sure why. Because obviously, alcohol damaging for your health, uh, gambling damaging for mental health and your finances, and, and a whole host of issues. It can be argued that it's as damaging, uh, kind of alcohol sponsorship. I think we're not there yet. I, I really don't believe we're we're not there yet uh, in terms of shifting alcohol sponsorship. I think that's a much Larger piece um, that goes into loads of different issues. I think what you might see, actually, in, in talking about future trends, you could see, uh, particularly in the US, with the legalisation of stuff like marijuana, you could see teams being sponsored by uh, kind of marijuana br- uh, brands moving forward. And again, it's mm-hmm. just as society changes, then uh, sponsorship will react to that, and it'll then impact on on sport. I think the the drinks piece is, is much is much larger. I think it's a much bigger lobby to kind of shift. And I I, I can't see that happening for, for a large or for a long kind of period of time. But I get your point. I, I don't disagree with it at all. I think it's completely valid. And again, if, if you look at the volume of adverts for alcohol during a football game, it's, it's through the roof as well.
1: Yeah, just on that point you made on the kind of legalization of cannabis um, in America, that's already happened in Scotland. You see Hamilton, I think, are sponsored by a CBD oil company. Oh, really? So oh, cool. it's, starting to make, it's starting to make its way across here as well.
5: CBD uh, is uh, sure it's like, the legal stuff, though.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. we'll get. I think that might change over the years. There's been a lot of points coming in on this. Um, Ezra coming in here saying, if they ban cigarette sponsorship and advertising, they should ban betting and alcohol sponsorship and advertising. Just going back to the point that we're making... Joseph McGonagall coming in saying too much money involved lads money talks I think that's part of the point you made on the alcohol sponsorship there as well um, and just on the point you made on FIFA the FIFA game series has a bigger issue than betting company logos on the shirts and games the ultimate team game mode is essentially gambling with the loot boxes and microtransactions. Sure. and I believe is that not been banned in some companies and in, in some countries as well now?
5: Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, and I'd, I'd agree with that point a hundred percent. I think that's a quite a dangerous thing. Um, and I, I think it's all these micro transactions um, that, that are the problem where it's, it's, it is in, in effect like gambling and uh, you're, you're nearly socializing young people to how gambling works with these games and it has been banned in, in some uh, countries. I believe in Ireland, actually, they're, they're taking a stand uh, against it uh, as well. And I think you'll, you'll see increasing kind of clampdowns on these tactics to nearly institute not obvious gambling, obviously, like a Paddy Power type uh, account or anything, but these type of tactics to get uh, young people or, or gamers involved. I, I completely agree. Um, those loot boxes, uh, it, it is a form of, of kind of uh, socializing young people to, to gamble. So I I think that's totally the the right kind of move to uh, to kind of ban them.
1: Cormac Ryan joins us again this week and he's saying uh, he's joining the show late. That's all right, Cormac. You can go back and watch this on YouTube. We're also out now um, on audio format as well. We're on Spotify, iTunes, all the big platforms. But he's saying it would be great to see the club making making an ethical decision regarding uh, gambling sponsorship without having to be forced. Now, there's, it goes back to the point you make about how long this is going to take for the legislation to go through because, as you said, there's every chance that this may take two or three years before we actually see the impact of it. But once it comes into to effect, the teams that make the first move I think will be the teams that look to set the example going forward. And you're hoping for your bigger teams across the UK, your Manchester United, your Liverpools, your Celtics and your Rangers to sort of set the example there, aren't you?
5: Yeah, totally. I think um, it's it's like anything until people are kind of forced to do something. For the most part, the majority won't do it. Um, and I think with this, there will be certain clubs that have a, a brand, uh, say, uh, you know, a, a Wrexham or, or these type of clubs that have a certain kind of leaning that they wouldn't go down that route. For for some of those clubs that are reliant on the revenue, I can't see them making that move uh, at all just because of the the money issue. But I think there will be some of those kind of first adopters, and that's something you can hang your hat on uh, as a a club. It's something to be uh, very proud of. Um, For sure, you you think of Barcelona uh, years ago with UNICEF. That was a really cool thing that they did to pay UNICEF to have them on their jerseys for a couple of seasons. That was an amazing thing. Now, Obviously, that's changed now in their own financial situation but stuff like that people remember so for sure i I totally agree
1: so just to kind of close out this segment do you think this will happen and when will it really kick in i think it'll happen
5: i I, there's too much steam behind this um it's too obvious the amount of ads actually being served to people it's it's everywhere jerseys video games as, as i said um I think it'll take about two to three years, roughly, uh, just in terms of legislation, the back and forth. There's a full consultation process, which is happening now. So uh, sponsors will be submitting uh, consultations. That needs to be assessed. And again, thinking about how government works, it's not exactly top of the agenda in terms of legislative needs in in the UK, particularly with COVID and and other issues. So I I think this one will be a bit of a slow burn, but I, I think it will definitely happen in the next two to three years. Um, and I think what will happen in the UK will probably ripple across other uh, countries in in Europe as well. And it's one we'll have
1: to keep a close eye on and I'm sure we'll talk about it um, when it actually comes in here on the Football Insomniac. A big thank you to everyone who's joined us so far on Facebook, on YouTube and on Periscope. If you are watching on YouTube, give us a like, give us a subscribe. The channel's fast approaching 9,000 subscribers which is an incredible growth over the last 12 months. Uh, and speaking about incredible growth, Dave, we'll go on and speak about your own blog, the business of sport. You've been doing that now for the last four years. Has that seen a, a, a fair bit of growth over that period of time as well? Yeah.
5: Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, the, the, the growth has been really unexpected. Um, I, I didn't have really a clue what I was doing to, to be totally honest. Um, basically uh, my own kind of background, I, I did journalism uh, in terms of uh, my, my degree Um, unfortunately, when I graduated, um, Ireland was going through kind of probably the worst recession we'd we'd ever had in 2008. Um, And basically, I was kind of freelance and it was kind of a tough period of time and went back to college and kind of kicked on and moved into um, public relations from there. And the thing about kind of public relations is you're writing stuff for your clients. And I kind of miss writing stuff for myself or stuff that I was interested in. And I just decided to kind of kick off the the blog from there about stuff that I actually am interested in, and I think if if you look, you go back to the early posts on the site, it, it's probably a bit kind of uh, not exactly top quality, but as time has gone on, I've kind of I've gotten a bit better. So it, it's it's a, a mix of things. It's analysis, so stuff like stuff that I would be interested in, like uh, Shergar, the the racing horse going missing, a lot of stuff about the XFL, which is the kind of the league now that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has invested in and uh, for American football um, and a lot of kind of industry interviews. So a lot of people have kindly given me their time. Um, I, uh, a couple of months ago, interviewed Jason Bell, who was an ex-NFL player, played for the New York Giants. Um, and I spoke to him about kind of career after sport, which is something I'm very interested in, in how athletes kind of transition from the high of being a, a superstar, earning loads of money, and then what it's like when they're, you know, back in the real world. And kind of within when, when I started it, I also started writing uh, part-time for uh, a website called Sports Techie. And that focused on kind of, as, as they say, the intersection between sports and technology and business. And with the blog and then Sports Techie, I kind of built my own network within the industry, built my own understanding. And it's it's just kind of gone on from there. It's It's been really cool. Like, I'm juggling a, a full-time role, so I definitely don't get as much time as I would like to write. So there's a couple of weeks there where I'm not posting stuff. But for the most part, it's it's something I'm really happy I, I did. It was just a motivation that kind of built in me. And I said, why not go for it? And and here we are.
1: And obviously, we've had, we've said before, um, you are living in Boston, but you're a, a Dublin boy. So how did the move to
5: America come come about? It was totally unplanned, as most things are uh, in, in my life. Um, basically, I'd, I'd lived in London for six years, moved over from Dublin um, for a job opportunity, had a great life in London. It's, it's a great place. Um, and basically, my, my wife had a fantastic opportunity here. And we, we came over um, and we moved over just before COVID happened. So we moved over the last week of February. And two weeks later, the place was shut down. Uh, we barely got into, you know, a flat to rent. Um, the St. Patrick's Day parade was canceled, which I was really looking forward to. Uh, it, it, was, it was really, it was like you were living in a, a different universe. It, it's one of, like, I moved from uh, Dublin to, to London. That was fine. You know, everything was fine. So I'd been, been through that, you know, scenario before moving over here. I don't think you realise until you actually live here how different it is and the the style of life. It's just, it's different. Um, and mix that with the COVID situation, it was definitely a, a trial by fire. fire but uh, we're, we're still here. It's it's a great city. Uh, if anyone's ever thinking of coming, I would definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a fabulous city.
1: And how has it been? Obviously, um, you've, you're a Celtic fan. You've been a Celtic fan all your life. How has it been trying to follow uh, Scottish football
5: from the other side of the globe? It's it's a bit interesting. I have to say that the time zone, obviously we're five hours ahead. Um, so say yesterday's game, I was working. So I was just checking in on the game. I couldn't really watch it uh, completely. So what I, what I now do is I'll, I'll re-watch the game probably a day afterwards in the evening because uh, I want to see how we performed. I have to admit in the last couple of performances, there might have been a bit of fast forwarding just because not, not much was <laughs> happening on the pitch. um. But it's yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Like I, I have to say, um it's so strange being in a place where football, or as they would say, soccer is not the number one sport. You you turn on ESPN radio, you go onto any of the websites here, it's American football, it's uh basketball, it's baseball, NHL. And that's a really strange situation to kind of to be in. Um and even uh they, they show a Premier League game uh on over the air TV. Um, here on NBC Sports every Saturday, and that starts at twelve, and it's the evening game back in the UK. So you are kind of like, oh wow, this is like it's really it's just a strange situation. I have uh, Celtic TV, and I have to say it's it's only I think one hundred and thirty dollars, and I get to watch kind of all all the kind of league games, and that's been a godsend. It's it's been brilliant, apart from obviously uh, the fare that's been served up uh, by the team, <laughs> but uh, it it's definitely it's it's a really unique place to be because. Uh, you look at the, the hierarchy of leagues here. The MLS, even in, in terms of Boston, they have the revolution here. Um, even on the news, uh, the, the kind of sports section on the news on TV, they would barely get a mention. Even if they play, it's you know ten seconds, fifteen seconds of you know the the Revs lost the game, the Revs won a game. It's it's not really a thing. But mm-hmm. where I think in the next couple, you know, the next twenty years or you know twenty five years, things are going to really change here. Um, we have a, a sports pitch right beside where we live and it's it's for a high school they have a running track, they have an American football pitch, it also doubles up as a soccer pitch, so that to me says, there's obviously someone playing this game, I've seen young kids out there playing it uh, even during COVID um, and that says to me that maybe the future uh, might be a, a bit more football or soccer orientated going forward which would be brilliant
1: Definitely, and I think they have the World Cup is coming to the US, Mexico, and Canada um, yeah. in the not too distant future. So I think we all see the the revolution of that coming along as well. If you look at if you look back at the business of sport, what is the the goal for this year? What's your aim for the
5: the blog? It's definitely. I, I think uh, the last two years the quality has definitely improved, um, and it, that's shown by the traffic I'm getting through on on certain posts. The XFL posts have gone through the roof. It's Sometimes uh, you start out on a post and you think it's going to be great. You post it, you share it on social, it just doesn't take off. And you think that was a really great piece of content. Uh, stuff like the XFL has just completely changed my expectation uh, because of the uh, the interest in it. I think uh, for me, uh, the last two years, the quality of uh, people I'm interviewing has definitely increased. And Jason Bell, uh, various kind of people within the industry. And it's definitely... You know it's a hobby it's something i do on the side and um, i really enjoy writing and um, i don't post as much as i want to but the overall goal is just to keep it going uh, for as long as i possibly can to build my own brand and um, through that and um, and just you know i'm never going to put in a paywall i'm not getting enough traffic for that but if people like it i'm i'm happy enough with it if people give it a follow i'm happy enough with it and and um, even in terms of the the opportunities it's it's unlocked for me within sports business opportunity, the contacts I've made, uh, its it's been brilliant. It's been absolutely fantastic.
1: And just as we kind of wrap up today's podcast, um, we've just gone slightly over time. I know that the guys are getting set up for the Celtic State of Mind bulletin coming out at half 12. I just want to bring up this, email, uh, this message coming in from Ben515. It says that BT done a film about the Bosman ruling. Um, so... If anyone is interested in that, and I think I will, I'll definitely give that a watch. Sure. I don't know if you've, you've seen it, Dave, no?
5: No, I'll, I'll have to uh, somehow get my hands on that.
1: Yeah, definitely, I'll be giving that a watch. Uh, but thank you to everyone who has joined us today, and a big thank you to Dave. He's got up very early to join us no, um, from Boston. Tell everyone that is watching, Dave, where they'll be able to find you and your
5: blog after this podcast. For sure. So it's a uh, businessofsport.net. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, dclax67. Um, so definitely get in touch. Let me know what you think. Uh, I'm I'm not precious about uh, the stuff I put up there. If you don't think it's any good, let me know.
1: And I'm hoping that we'll see some more of you on a state of mind. I think there's sure. definitely a lot of discussion to be had um, regarding uh, the business side of the game. Um, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll reach out to you in the future
5: for, sure. for that I'd love to be back, but thanks Mel for, for having me
1: it has been an absolute pleasure and it's been a pleasure to have everyone else joining us we are as I said now on the audio formats as well, we'll be on Spotify, we'll be on iTunes, um, it's under the, state of the Celtic State of Mind feed at the moment um, so give that one a listen but until next week, thank you to Dave thank you to everyone who's joining us um, and we will see you all next week
2: Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network Sports Social Podcast Network With Lucky Lance Slots, you can
5: get lucky just about anywhere.